1: Oh, and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. And as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPL Roundtable at gmail.com.
2: Hi there, I'm Gertrude Willen from the Jackcast, the Swansea City podcast. Uh, if you want to catch up on what we've got to say, you can find us on Twitter at the Jackcast.
3: Hello, I'm Jake. I support Newcastle. I write for EPL Index and Total Dutch Football and you can get me on Twitter at Jake Jackman with two N's.
4: Hello, I'm Richard Burns. I write for... Uh, I'm a Manchester City fan. I write two articles a week for Yahoo! Sport UK on Manchester City and I'm a member of the Blue Moon Podcast, which you can also find on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast.
5: Hi guys, I'm Jim. I'm the Leicester City uh, representative for the EPL Roundtable. And I'm the Chief Gaming Content Manager for Perform Groups that encompasses Goldupcom, Soccerway, Opta, a few other sites that you might have heard of. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Gymnot88. All
1: right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. This is a full house for uh, old school listeners. This is about as close to season one as you're going to get, hopefully, uh, with me <laughs> handling things a bit better than I did back then. Um, but a pleasure having this many guys on. Uh, we'll start off with Gitto. Obviously, a big result in terms of the club you beat in Liverpool, maybe not as much in terms of league position. Uh, but what was your view of that match? Uh,
2: important to point out that it was probably the Liverpool reserves that we um, played against. I think that was Liverpool's youngest ever starting lineup uh, with an average age of 23. Um, and it showed they were terrible. Probably the worst team that we've played against this season and definitely the least motivated because they had the... Um, Europa League semi-final coming up. They they were dreadful, but having said that, it was very very nice to see Swansea return to the kind of football that um, we not only love to watch, but that we think suits our players best. Um, it's been a bit painful this season watching them um, play really negative, ugly football, grinding up results when really their strengths lie in passing the ball and 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 and, and using their creative instincts, um, but. You know, I can't say that single player played badly against um, Liverpool. Um, There was an added intensity there, which has been missing all season, Uh, and you know, scored three goals as well for the first time since last April when we beat Newcastle away. Um, It's also the first time that we've won a game by two goals or more since we beat Newcastle in August. Sorry, Jake, that you're taking a pound, didn't you? Um, But it it was, um, but yeah. So a few, a few nasty habits were. um, um, were, we're um, you know, sort of exercised um, on um, uh, on Sunday. But, of course, one remained, and that was the fact that we cannot defend set pieces whatsoever. Um, Benteke even got on the score sheet, uh, which says how badly we defended that set piece. Uh, and that's not particularly good news, considering our next match is against West Ham United away. Um, they're doing really well, and Andy Carroll has a horrendous habit of scoring against us. Um, I think last season he scored a total of five goals for West Ham and three of them were against us. Um, So we're obviously not looking forward to facing him uh, on Saturday, especially since we have got a ton of players missing. Gilfie Sayerson's out, Ashley Williams, Neil Taylor, Puloski and Montero, they are all going to be out. Um, So what kind of team we pick for that match, I'm not really sure. I don't know with some of them if they're genuinely injured or if they're just being kept um you know given a rest ahead of the Euros, the likes of Williams Taylor, um Sayerson, they're big players for the international teams. Um so they they may have been given a rest ahead of uh, the Euros. Um but um it's it's just I'm just happy that we've not got anything really going on uh, well left for us to play for going into this match away at Upton Park um because I can't see anything apart from a West Ham win.
1: Yeah, obviously the last time you came on, we were talking a lot about the potential ownership coming in. If you wouldn't mind touching on that, that'd be great. Also, will that have any impact on your managerial situation?
2: It's a strange one. It's gone very, very quiet. Um, it's you know we 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 still think it's pretty much a done deal, but um, the initial sort of fuss about the supporters' trust falling out with other board members and you know allegations of secrecy and the dealings and stuff and and people still trying to figure out who these people were that's all got a bit quiet it's gone into the background really um the supporters trust um which for those of you who don't know uh has a 20 percent stake in the club and has a permanent board member as things stand um they've been they they say that they're busy doing due diligence trying to find out what they're about they're also trying to increase their stake to ensure that they've still got a strong voice and a, a, a big say in the way the club is run even after this takeover goes ahead and it, it does still seem inevitable really but opinions still mixed um, there are, and the general consensus is that we need a lot more facts about these people and what they're about before we uh, wholeheartedly um, back the takeover um, again it's un it's unknown what impact that's going to have on the managerial situation. Guidolin has apparently held talks with the club, but we don't know what kind of talks those are. The general opinion is still that Brendan Rodgers is the most likely manager for next season. He's still dividing opinion among fans, um, and you know it's we it is going to be a strange season at Swansea. We all want to see a heck of a lot of changes at the club in terms of a new manager coming in instead of Guido Lane We want to see um, a real revamp of the squad. Um, but uh, with this takeover not yet sorted and it's still not known how much money they're actually going to have to spend on the squad, etc., um, it's all up in the air, really, and we don't know what to expect. And I have a horrible feeling that, if, you know, that we don't see changes made in the squad, Players shipped out you know better options brought in, and a manager with a long term vision that uh, which which can return us to uh who can return us to a few of the values that have got us so so much success over the last few years. There are fears that um we could be in for an even harder season next year
1: all right uh now we will move on to Jake Jackman, who's uh Newcastle side beat Crystal Palace. Jake, obviously a huge three points for you to pick up. Unfortunate that the Simon pull pulled out a late draw to to keep that a little closer. They still have a game in hand. But ha- what was your take on this match? And are you feeling any better about your chances now?
3: Yeah, it's a good 1-0 win over Palace. I'd say that the performance was quite nervy at times. Um, but, you know, it was good to get the win, especially as it was like Pardew's first return to the club. And, uh, you know, Kabai had a penalty saved from Darlow, which was... You know, just made it amazing, amazing as a Newcastle fan. Probably is like like a special match sort of in terms of former players since uh, Jose Enrique ended up in goal when we beat Liverpool a few seasons ago. It was sort of that sort of moment and, you know, it sort of got the fans going. And it was, but I mean, overall in the game, I think it was good to see the fans focused on getting behind the team and ignoring Pardew. I think he got sort of a muted reception, which I think was the right thing to do. Um there was cheers for Benitez, and I think that may have bothered Pardew somewhat because he never really had a reaction like that. And I think you know he he sort of seen that um, Newcastle are moving on from his sort of regime and like we're going to improve from him. And I think like he he thought we were just going to drop down the leagues when he when he left. I think uh, especially with our ownership, which was which is a, still a problem. Um, Townsend scored a great free kick, which I think you know he
1: didn't lean back.
3: I know, it's incredible. When it, We haven't had a free kick taker since Kabai, so it's kind of, kind of ironic that it took place in this game. But, I mean, I didn't expect anything from it. I was thinking, I, this, it, Townsend can't take free kicks. I've never seen him take a free kick. What's he, what's he doing? But it was, it was an incredible strike. And I mean, I think it, it was the type of game that was going to be won out of a moment of magic. I think both teams were sort of quite nervy. It was it was sort of a tense game, and I think that that was a, a huge moment in, in a you know, survival bid. Uh, as well as uh, Jamal Lasalle's tackle on Conor Wickham in the first half, that was a, that was a huge moment, and obviously the uh, penalty save as well. That was massive. And I, I mean, Carl Darlow—he's he, our third choice goalkeeper. He's had to come in because Krull and Elliot are both injured, and he's been playing superbly. I, I, I think he's, you know, up there, you know, at the moment, like consistently performing as like one of the best goalkeepers in the league. They're, like some of the saves he's making are just ridiculous. And I'm thinking, this is our third choice keeper, like it's We've got such strength and depth in that position. That's like really pleasing going forward. Can one of them play but, left back? Yeah, um, I think actually since Paul Dummett's come back in. He's done really well. I think he's added uh, balance to the the back four. I think we we really missed that when we had you know we had Sissoko playing that at one point, which was just really, like like a horrible decision, and that's why we lost the game at Norwich. But yeah, that that's really good. I think Benitez, you know, it's it's all down to him at the moment. Like he's taken over a team that had no game management skills no confidence a lot of the players wanted to leave and he somehow hauled us into a position two games to go where many see us as favorites for staying up I mean I, I don't have that point of view but I mean we're in such a great position it's all down to him and it, it, I'm just so happy we have a manager that, that can actually get something out of the squad because we haven't had that pro- he's probably the best manager we've had since Bobby Robson and I think Hopefully, you know, if we stay up there's a huge future with him. Uh, you mentioned suddenly getting the point. That was, that was very annoying, especially as, you know, it's a last-minute goal. And, I mean, I've I've seen it and maybe I'm biased, but I, I didn't really think it was a penalty. So that was really disappointing. If they would have lost that game, I would have been a lot more confident about staying up. But I just feel it keeps their momentum going. And I think they haven't lost in so long. They're very good at, like, picking up draws, very tough to beat. So I think I still see them as favourites for their... For staying up, but you know the running's going to be very exciting for neutrals. But yeah, I, st- I still think Sunderland are going to beat the team that gets out of it, just unless we can beat Spurs on the final day, which with every passing day looks more and more likely. The more players that are getting banned, <laughs> and you know now now the title race is over. You know, I'm I'm slightly more confident about that. But like uh, in, in other news going on at Newcastle, Sylvan, Marvo, and Gabby Obertan will release today. I think that that uh, that could be a positive. Looking forward, I think it may be showing that Benitez is planning for the future. Neither were really good players for Newcastle in their five years at the club. I think Obertown played seventy seven matches and Marvo fifty something. Like n- neither of them really featured that prominently. And I think I think, you know, we've now moved on in that sort of uh, area. We've got Townsend and we've got Sissoko, Wynealdum. I think those two were just, you know, not good enough. And I think that's good to get them gone early and, you know, save a bit of money over the close season. Um Giving up their contracts and stuff, and I think you know the the next obviously the next two weeks are going to be huge for the future. I, I I can't I can't stress that enough. I think if we do manage to stay up, I think we're going to become a really really good Premier League club under Benitez. I think we're going to finish top half regularly. I mean he's he's uh, there's been articles coming out this week saying that he he wants uh, reassurances from the board that there will be money spent in the summer and that he wants to be targeting Champions League football next season which may seem crazy but you know if the, if the money's spent and he 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 invests it well uh he co- he gets um a whole pre-season with the squad and you know you look at what leicester have done there's no reason why other clubs can't sort of target to you know mix it amongst the big boys at the top of the league i think that that's where newcastle should be we should we should be a club in the top half of the premier league i'm not going to be one of those newcastle fans who who are, the media write so much about and saying that we should be a top four club i don't think they there is any fans that that think that I think we just want a squad that tries, um, a squad that every every week we can believe that can get a result, and we haven't had that for so so long. And I think we're finally getting there under Benitez. But it's just so crucial that we stay up, because I mean, if if we don't, I think who knows what's going to happen. And it's like th- this next two weeks is so huge for Newcastle. So if we stay up, I think we're we're going to become a really good uh, club, a uh, really good team. but If we go down, we we could do a similar thing, to sort of a porter before a lead, which is very worrying
1: uh if you were to go down i I don't mean to put you on the spot but uh here we go um would the parachute payment be under the previous uh tv deal or the upcoming one with the oodles of money that everyone's gonna have too much of
3: um i I haven't really looked into that but i'd I'd imagine it would be the 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 previous one because that's still that's still in sort of force at the moment. That's the that's the current deal. So I think I'd, I'd imagine it's that one. I, I don't think finances would be a big issue. I think Mike Ashley has enough money. I think we've got enough assets, you know, in sort of players that we could sell and make the money. So I, I don't think money would be a huge issue. I'd just be concerned about the type of manager they'd bring in because I can't see Benita stay staying. I'd be concerned about the type of squad they'd put together and and things like that. I, I I don't think money would be an issue. I just I did think it's overall it's just Ashley that is the huge issue and. I think if we stay up and he appoints Benitez, I think given Benitez control, we'll sort of sort out that sort of site, that issue to so Ashley. I think he won't be involved. He'll leave it all to Benitez. And I think that would be a, a great decision because Benitez obviously has a plan going forwards. But it's just, if we go down, you just don't know what's going to happen. And it's, it's just concerning. But, you know, we have hope now. We're out of the relegation zone. I should be positive. So yeah, let's hope we stay up. Yeah. And I think we can all
1: agree mm-hmm. that you have the backing of this particular podcast. Um, which may even include me allowing you to win as long as we're mathematically guaranteed to finish above Arsenal. Um, all right, uh, on to Richard, who obviously City uh, put out the kids at the weekend in in order to have the full strength eleven for their match against Real Madrid in Spain. That didn't go particularly your way. What are your takeaways from the past two matches here?
4: Um, I would say put out the kids is being slightly generous in affording us the result that we got because they weren't kids with the exception of Wilfred Bonney. We had a team out there who um, who should have been far more capable of putting up a performance against Southampton um, than they did. Obviously I take your point that it was a weakened team, uh, but it wasn't kids in the way that he put out against Chelsea in the FA Cup when the defeat that we got was understandable. That was a team that had a, a defensive partnership worth £70 million and um, an 18 million pound left back and an FA Cup winning right back, and you know a midfield full of international caps. That was a team that should have been much better than it was, um, and instead they were once again against a top eight team, an absolute embarrassment. Um, I can't really criticise Pellegrini um, much, so that is my default position for most things. Um, I can't really criticise him for picking a weakened team because I thought it was the right thing to do before the game, and those players should have been better than they were. A draw would have been a fine result for us in our pursuit of a top-four finish. Um, So it's one of the rare things this season that I don't really hold the manager completely responsible for. When you've got Mane running past Kolarov, and Kolarov just lets him go, when it's clear that if he does that, he's probably going to score. And Kolarov willingly just lets him run past whilst he himself jogs back. That's on the players. That's, that's their professional integrity that, um, that isn't up to scratch. So I don't really blame Pellegrini's team selection. Um, whether the manager should be able to motivate a team to do better than that is obviously um, a different question. But those players that played on Sunday, uh, with the exception of Ian Acho, who was once again brilliant, uh, they've really got a lot of soul-searching to do, I think. Um, then onto the Madrid game itself was just a massive disappointment um, the the sense of deflation at the end of that game that I felt was like I haven't felt in a long time watching City, and it wasn't just because we'd lost the Champions League semi final. There is there is a way to lose, um, and there is certainly a way to lose big games because I, I fully accept that if you come up against Real Madrid or you're in a champ, you know you're in the Champions League in the latter stages, then at some point you're going to have to deal with heartache. You're going to have to deal with it more often than not because that's the level that we're at. You good teams can beat each other at any point and we came up against a very, very good team on Wednesday night. Um but we went out with a whimper and the golfing class was obvious. Basically as soon as Vincent Company went off injured, I think it rocked the team for a few minutes and then once Madrid had a foothold, City could never get back into it. I think Madrid's Madrid's work in midfield with the ball was exceptional the 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 way Cruz, Isco, Modric who was particularly brilliant, uh, Bale, Ronaldo the way they kept the ball and the movement that they offer for each other is so intelligent and on a completely different level to anything that City could produce. Um, City's work off the ball wasn't good enough they didn't hunt in packs they didn't press um, they weren't intense enough and then when they got it they were clueless they did not know what to do they were okay winning possession in defence once Madrid pressed into the last third. I thought Mangala and Otamendi were okay. But then we were giving the ball away again within two passes because they literally just didn't know what to do. Um And that's... Like I say, we were against a team that they did press us very intensely and that's been a problem for us all season. We've never worked out how to deal with that. But we just didn't show the intelligence and there wasn't the... There wasn't the fight there. They didn't roll the sleeves up and get stuck in, which I realize is a very sort of English underdog mentality of if if you can't play well, then at least give it to them. But you expect to see that. You expect to see a bit of character in a game that big.
1: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. Yeah, you mentioned there uh, that at the weekend you didn't really feel it was Pellegrini's fault. And and to your point, it wasn't the kids, but it was your second 11, uh, and you'd expect them to play better. The 4-1-4-1 that it seemed you were playing in midweek against Madrid seemed pretty defensive. Then you tried to shift it to more of an attacking thing at the end, bringing on Sterling and had Nacho. Were you surprised by that? Was that something City fans were okay with? Do you blame him for what happened midweek, unlike at the weekend?
4: I think... City was set up for counter-attacking and I thought that that was the right approach because I thought that uh, a a nil-nil result from the first leg was, I think it's the most intriguing result you could take into a second leg because you've got the whole angle of the home team didn't win but the away team didn't get an away goal which obviously to me that sort of throws things into the away team's favour for the second leg because you only need one goal to change the whole dynamic Uh, but accounting for Madrid's Attacking power and the fact that we had basically, by keeping a clean sheet at the Etihad, we had mandated them to attack almost more than they might have wanted to. Um, I thought a counter-attacking setup was the right approach. Um, I thought that might explain why City was standoffish until the last third, uh, and you know, in, in our until the ball got into our own defensive third. Um, but we left Aguero completely isolated, and he was that dropping
1: meant, so deep.
4: Yeah as the game went on, he dropped deeper and deeper and deeper. And to my mind, um, not being an expert tactician, but to my mind, without a focal point, counter-attacking doesn't work because there's nowhere to go with it. Um, so you can have Navas running down the wing all day. Um, but without him having an outlet for it, then it's a, it's a pointless exercise. And we, we tried that over and over again, but kept giving the ball away within two, three passes of winning it. Um, I think I do I, I do hold Pellegrini responsible because that is obviously that's his coaching over 3 years I mean that's the team that City are we we're not good in big games he never has been even in the year we won the league he wasn't good in big games apart from the two uh, Manchester derbies that year um he's got a terrible record in when it really comes to crunch time um so, yeah, his his style of management, the, the way he's coached these players, is largely responsible. But to use a phrase that um, is increasingly popular these days, you've got to look to the players for in-game management, and there was none of that. Like These are supposedly um, some of the best footballers in the world that City have in their ranks, and they couldn't problem-solve on their own. And a manager can only do so much. The manager can't go out and play for them um, and like I say, you've heard me many times this season, Lambas Pellegrini. Uh, I think he's dragged City backwards um, overall and I can't wait for him to leave. But I, the players have got to take a hell of a lot of responsibility for last night because it's. we talk about formations and obviously tactics are important. But the game isn't static. Football isn't a static game. Players can move. Players can work things out for themselves. Players can see where space is on the pitch. They can work out what the teammates are doing. They can open up opportunities. And City failed to do that. I think no shots on target in a semi-final where you know that one goal shifts everything in your favour. That is a damning stat. Like It tells you a lot about where City's heads were on the night. And as the game progressed into the last ten minutes, it was that like it should have been more tense. Like that's that's where cup games get tense—the last ten minutes when there's only one goal in it—and it wasn't. Like it never felt like it was coming until Aguero hit his shot from what twenty-five, thirty yards mm. that just landed on top of the net. And it's amazing that that game was de- defined and decided by such fine margins because the golfing class was ridiculous. And I, I don't, I don't hold that against City. We are new to the semi-finals. Um, It is a new experience in the Champions League for us, and this year has undoubtedly been progress. But I think, as I said earlier, there comes a point where you just start throwing the kitchen sink at it, and as unscientific um, and untactical as that sounds, there is a place for it when you're desperate, and City didn't look desperate, and that baffles me.
1: Yeah, well, I will follow uh, your disappointment up with my own. Uh, we weren't able to record Sunday, and then we thought about recording Monday, and then obviously lots happened, um, but we didn't get that done. So now, I get to relive on this Thursday, as we record, uh, all the horrible events that took place on Monday, which uh, were numerous. <laughs> and, uh, just, It was really unfortunate, the way that game unfolded. We, we took, obviously, a two-goal lead, heading into halftime. We started very brightly. Kane is... A phenomenal forward he really is, and Min Son managed to collect a ball uh, with some degree of composure, which is <laughs> surprising these days. Um, but also turned turned a goal uh, right before halftime. But then the second half is where everything got crazy. I'm sure most people listening to this will have heard by now. I think it would be a drastic understatement to say that to say that tempers erupted there in the second half. There was a lot of divisiveness between Spurs fans on whether this was embarrassing, whether this was us standing up to the bullies. There were some people taking pride in it. Um, I think it, it'll be easiest to just go incident by incident. The Dembele eye gouge was bad, which is why he's going to get more than a three-match ban. The will stamp, may have been intentional, but he never looked down, which is going to help keep him from getting penalized further, and there was a linesman right there that didn't call anything. The Dyer challenge on Hazard was late and high, easily could have been a red card. And the Mason challenge on Hazard looked a lot worse than it was, and in the context of what was happening, which was us just basically hacking down all their players, looked like it could have been a red card, but I think yellow was probably right there. The end result uh, was us conceding two goals, and those two goals then led West Leicester to winning the title, which we will get to in a second with Jim, in case you were wondering why I leapfrogged him. Um, There were lots of ridiculous comments being made by fans of other clubs, which may or may not have gotten to me. If you'd like to see a live version of my breakdown, it's still on my Twitter feed. Because I'm not sure whether I'm supposed to delete that and keep some semblance of professionalism or leave it and have integrity. So (laughs) it's really a battle between those two. I was really most disappointed in our behavior in a stressful situation. Because we will be in plenty of those situations going forward. I've said before that bottling, quote-unquote, a title race that we were never leading or were even meant to be a part of wasn't really that big of a factor for me. Would we have loved to have won it? Yes. But we missed chances. I'm not going to list all of them. I know fans at the end of every season have to go through all of them. But Leicester kept winning their matches, and credit to them. Um, But yeah, the, the fact that we lost our temper in a match like that and that it wasn't just the kids. The fact that it was Vertonghen and Dembele that were the first two to crack is not super promising for, say, next year. When we're in the Champions League, which we officially qualified for through that match, by the way. Uh, and while we're also re-competing in a Premier League that's probably going to be even more parody-ridden than this season. With all of the extra Premier League money coming in. So that was, that was pretty disappointing. There is something to the theory that it's easier to calm down passionate people than to get passion out of apathetic people. And so, I I guess in that way, you could view this as positive. Clearly, the fire's there, and we just need to temper it a little bit. Um, But it was a little disgraceful. And and adding it to the Della Ali punch from a couple weeks ago. like Tottenham were in a very big stage here the past month or so, and have not necessarily lived up to it. The football has largely still been great, but I think people are now starting to... You know, you don't want to see how your food is made. One of those situations, people are starting to see kind of those tempers flare at Tottenham. Um, much like when the the myth of Leicester always playing good football was broken. Everybody for the first half thought they played incredible football until they played their team. They're like, wait, this isn't that difficult. They, they're just really fast up front and they defend really well. Um, so it, it was kind of one of those things. That, so when the, the spotlight was on us, we kind of shrunk and, and flared out, which I didn't really uh, love. But all in all, looking back on the season on a whole, the fact that we were even in the title race, like I said, was was an incredible achievement for Pochettino and and for the the players under him. Speaking of Pochettino, he has verbally agreed to a five-year contract extension. As I am a Spurs fan, I would be much more comfortable if they had announced it by him actually signing a contract instead of the club saying that he's talked about it. Um, but when he does sign, there's a long list of players willing to sign their own extensions Um with Ericsson and Lamella and Vertongen, and I'm sure there are more that I'm forgetting. Um, other things, Larice came out and reiterated that he didn't just want to play in the Champions League, but he specifically had wanted to play in the Champions League with us. Uh, some people questioning that for some reason, saying he tried to leave two years ago. I find it very unlikely that he forcibly tried to leave because I find it hard to believe that nobody would have come in for him if that had been the case. And he has stuck around this whole time, and he is now our club captain. And uh, I am very glad that we're going to be able to, to finally get to that level, which is where he thought he, we would be when he signed with us in, what, 2012? Um, so glad that he's stuck around for that. Uh, in stadium news, it looks like the Wembley deal is all about done for the 17-18 Premier League season. Tottenham trying to get Champions League matches played at Wembley this coming season, uh, which is meeting a lot of backlash. People really want to have like one last hurrah Uh, at White Hart Lane but doing so could cause a delay on construction which could leave us more problems going forward so uh, a lot of fans on either side of that fence really will just have to wait and see which way that goes but it does look like for all intents and purposes Tottenham will be playing in Wembley for the 2017-2018 season all right Jim I went before you because I didn't want to make it anticlimactic and hear all your joy and talk about how our failure against Chelsea uh, was the cause of it So, without any further ado, what's it like being Premier League champions?
5: It's not really sunk in yet, I'll tell you, when it actually comes to kind of sinking in and it feels real. Um, So, yeah, to kind of recap the last week, uh, we had our game with Manchester United on Sunday, which was um, the first opportunity we've had to mathematically secure the title. Uh, we drew that game one one. Um, we, I think, a draw was probably a fair result. On reflection, Manchester United fans maybe feel a little bit aggrieved because they did have the majority of the ball, but then so do most teams against Leicester this year. That's the way we play. Um, we started off looking very, very nervous. Uh, the first ten minutes until the the Anthony Marshall goal, we were probably the worst I've seen as this year um we just looked kind of like rabbits and headlights and although you know Manchester United are a decent team Old Trafford is very very imposing as a ground even if it's not as loud as some of the other stadiums that we've been to this year um so I can kind of see that and I suppose when you've got that mathematical possibility um on your shoulder that you can actually win the title then and there on that afternoon um it, it can do funny things to even the most professional of players so this uh There's something to be said for nerves creeping in there. But then I think the most uh, pleasing thing for me was the way that we regrouped after the the goal. No one panicked. Um, We're not used to being behind in games. It hasn't happened very often at all. I think since before the United game, since November or something, we've been behind for like 37 minutes total in the Premier League campaign, which is insane. Um, So it's not necessarily a situation we've had to deal with very often. And we came back from it really, really well. We struck back almost instantly uh, through Wes Morgan from a set piece, which is something which we've got progressively better at throughout the season, um, trying to utilise the, the height of Robert Huth and, uh, and Wes Morgan from set pieces and Leonardo Ugeiro as well when he's on the pitch. Um, we did miss Jamie Vardy a lot. I felt that if we'd had Vardy, we probably would have won that day and, and probably wrapped up the title then and there. But we really missed his kind of blistering pacing behind Um, When you play that counter-attacking style, which is very much kind of soak up the pressure, especially on the road. Um, The idea is to soak up the pressure of a team like Manchester United and then hit them on the break. And when you've got long balls going up to Leonardo Ulloa and Shinji Okasaki, they are more than willing runners. Um, Shinji's not particularly slow. Leo's a bit more cumbersome um, and a lot better in the air. But they're not not the kind of players that are going to spring an offside trap against the likes of Chris Smalling, who's not slow um, in the first place. So, it was, um, yeah, I think it was a probably a fair result and I thought we gave a good account ourselves on the day um, and then it all came down to Monday, which was just insane. Um, the way that Spurs kind of dropped the two-goal lead, I think, made it even more special um, to celebrate and um, it's just kind of been one of those weird weeks, really, where you have to keep pinching yourself and checking the scores and, and making sure it's not kind of one long dream that feels like it's lasted for nine months and we have actually won the title.
1: Yeah, uh, not to brush any of that aside, but <laughs> your manager, a.k.a. the Tinker Man, Claudio Ranieri, was already asked about next season. He said the goal is 10th. Uh, you jokingly said on the last show that you can't well say 17th or higher next season how do you think this will carry into next year knowing that you will also be in pot one or pot a of the champions league
5: it's um well it's an encouraging sign i think that the owners have come out today um just a few hours before we record and said that they expect uh the three goals for next year are to uh strengthen the squad um uh, uh, we're not going to win the league again, they don't think, and to um, try and just, you know, cement that place in the Premier League and see what we can do in, in European competition. So it's good that they have um, tempered their optimism based on the situation. Obviously, you know, when we got first got promoted, they said that they wanted to be uh, in the top four within three years, which was widely scoffed at by neutrals fans and uh, rivals I think and most of the media as well um, because no one expected this kind of season to happen and it does have that feeling of a fairy tale kind of once in a a generation um, or once in a lifetime even feel to it um, where a a complete outsider has won the title so it's good that no one's expecting us to establish ourselves at that level and remain there um, and use that as a stick to beat Ranieri with should we um, should we fail to kind of qualify for the champions league again next year um group a or group one or pot one in the champions league is is super exciting um we've now got that kind of awkward wait until we find out who we're playing um as you know with with champions league groups there can be some real groups of death in there and then you also get groups where it looks comparatively easy like maybe the psv group and stuff this year uh where you look at it and think well there are three much better teams than either in that group or in another group so it's kind of look at the draw it's good that i guess you're going to avoid most of the the, the league winners um the likes of barcelona Bayern munich etc but you know as as with european competition no there's no easy games at that level so to use an old cliche it's exciting i think the way we've just got to approach it is we've got to look at this summer and try and build strength and depth we've been really really um Minimalist with our squad this year, we've kind of used 23 players throughout the whole campaign, which is the fewest in the Premier League by a significant margin. Um, and I think we've played the same uh, 11, 17 times throughout the campaign, which is is quite a lot, really, when you consider how many injuries and stuff teams normally have to deal with. So I think it's, it, you know, it, it, you just go into it with your eyes open, not not expecting to do amazing things. And then anything, it's kind of like this season, really. You say, right, you set a very basic expectation. And then anything above that is kind of seen as a victory rather than looking upwards and thinking that's where we should be.
1: All right, uh, now we will head into the topic, which is Leicester have won the title, which is crazy. Aston Villa have already been relegated. So you have these two bookends, but everything else in the middle there are a lot of teams still vying for significant outcomes like fourth place, whether or not teams can sneak up into the Europa League, who's going to stay safe. So we're just going to quickly go through and see who thinks who will land where. So who do you guys do think will finish fourth? Who do you think will grab the Euro- the uh, Europa League spots? And who do you think will stay safe? We'll start with Gito. Um,
2: it's The Champions League one, I think City will probably just about get the job done. Um. And that is basically because they're playing us in the last two games. And uh, I, I, as much as City have struggled, I don't think they're going to lose to us. Um, and I think they'll just about take them over the line, won't it? So um, um, I, th- I think they'll just have enough in the tank to hold off any charge from Man United and West Ham. Um, as far as Europa League spots go, of course, that depends on whether or not Palace can win the uh, FA Cup, which is a distinct possibility. Um, so if past don't, I mean it'll come down to Southampton or uh, Liverpool. I think I'm right in saying um, I, it's it's hard to say really because Liverpool may qualify for the uh, Europa League final. I'm not sure as we speak if that's going to happen or not. Um, that could have a big uh, impact. Um, but down the bottom, that's where it's really interesting for me. Um, I think Norwich are dead and buried. I don't think they've got what it takes to get out of the situation they're in at the moment. So it does come down to Newcastle and Sunderland. And I've said all along that I thought Sunderland were going to just find some way of getting out of it, the same way they have for the last God knows how many seasons. Uh, and with Sam Dyson enjoying the foe there, I've thought that all along, but I know not know, you know, Benitez is just get, getting the results in Newcastle. Um They're not, um I, I still don't think they're, Particularly flash or anything like that, but that that's not what counts when you're down the bottom. You know, Newcastle would have killed for um, the ability to grind out results earlier on in the season, and I've got a sneaking suspicion that they might be able to do it again because their opponents are, you know, like like Jake said earlier that they've got Newcastle send Spurs on the final day of the season. And a few weeks ago, I'm sure that looked like a daunting prospect, but now you're probably thinking, well, actually, if Newcastle go there needing a draw and Spurs Pretty much sorted, um, you know. You'd you'd back Newcastle do it. So I've got a sneaking suspicion. Actually, the Newcastle may just get out of it. That
1: must be exciting to hear, Jake.
3: Yeah, very. Um, in in terms of what I think is going to happen over the next few games, I think. I think City will will finish in the top 4. I think they've got Arsenal at the weekend. Um that's a huge game. You know, that's the game that they need to avoid defeating. I mean, Man, Man United've got a game in hand so but they also have West Ham to play so it, you know. I I don't can't see Man United winning their final three games so I think City will, will, will do enough and finish in the top 4 although they should have done it much much uh, easier than they have done. Uh the Europa League spots I think it will be I think that will stay the same as well. I think Liverpool will be distracted by the Europa League if if they do go through, and even if they don't, I feel I feel like they are inconsistent in the league, and I'm sure Klopp will continue to sort of blood these young players, um, regardless of whether they're in the Europa League or not. I think, um, yeah, West Ham and Man United are solid in those two spots. I think Southampton are pro- probably not good enough, and you know. Uh, I think all the other teams have got a game in hand over them anyway, so so that that's sort of sorted. And then we we do talk about the bomb, which I've talked about a lot uh, recently. I think um, you know I, I think we should beat Aston Villa, and I'd hope, and that takes it to the final day because I think Sunderland are going to beat Everton and possibly lose to Chelsea. So if that if that happens, it goes to the final day. And I, th- I think we're going to have to beat Spurs. I, I don't think a draw will be enough. I think we're going to have to win our final two games to stay up sadly cannot see that happening I, th- I think we've got a chance of doing it but I, I, still, think, I still think Sunderland are going to do it I think they're going to luck a result against Everton and then Watford on the final day I think it's just uh, three points so you know, I, I, I think Sunderland would do it but it will go down to the final day and it will be tense.
1: Yeah Richard a lot of support here for City staying in fourth maybe there'll be a little bit of a, a blown ego there having lost these last two how do you think you're going to fare in that race?
4: um see there's there's a bit of me that thinks yeah we should be good for the top 4 um and that we we should make it now but there is no there's no rational basis for um to my mind for predicting that city would beat arsenal which is a key game um this weekend the i mean to reiterate because I, I sort of bang on about this a lot but it's it still blows my mind that 36 games into the season this stat is still true we have only beaten one of the current top 8 and all season wow. and that was southampton in off the top of my head november maybe december um we are poor against top half teams most of our victories Obviously, as as that stat tells you, most of our victories come from being flat-track bullies. Um, and that said, we um, we haven't been that good against the bottom three. So I, I don't really trust that we can beat Arsenal. Um, we've also lost all six of our games... Sorry, lost all of our home games against the current top six, um, quite convincingly in some cases. So to win this game would defy an entire season's worth of trend and performance and to my mind that can't lead to a sound rational prediction that City would beat Arsenal um so I unfortunately and I very rarely predict this on a on a podcast or in writing I actually think City will get beat um I think United will beat Norwich this weekend which would put them one point behind us with a game in hand um at which point their motivation becomes huge to beat West Ham. West Ham are out of the top four race, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and they've already beat them there in the FA Cup, so they'll have a spring in the step. Uh, I I, I want to get off the fence, so I'm, I'm going to say that three games will be hard for United to win, and I do agree with Guto that City will win at Swansea. Um, I'm going to just about give it to City. But I would not be surprised if we miss out. Um, And I do think we'll get beat this weekend. Um, And then for for the UEFA Cup spots, um, I agree. I think United and West Ham look pretty solid. Um, I think Southampton are interesting this year because I think this year of all years, being as good as they can be, I think they might be looking at it disappointed that they didn't run the top four a bit closer. Um, Because when you think how closely West Ham have run it, and obviously Leicester and Tottenham's success, when they weren't necessarily expected to push as high as they have, I think Southampton might be one of the teams that will be a bit regretful about that that dip that they had when Fraser Forster was out. I think they could have pushed a bit higher. Um, and then for staying up, I would, I, I will again, I'll be another to throw my back in behind Newcastle. Um, I think Benitez is a. An excellent tactical manager. Uh, obviously, you've got Allardyce, who has been there and done it in relegation battles, and Sunderland, who are extremely experienced in staying up in, in these kind of situations. But um, I think I'm probably going as much off gut feeling as you know scientific predictions here. But I, I do think Newcastle will get out of it. I think two wins of the last four games and two draws, and then you look at Sunderland, who... have only won two of the last ten, and one of them was ten games ago. And Norwich, who've won two of the last ten and, and lost six, um, I think form suits Newcastle just about. And I, I think at this stage that momentum is huge. So I'm giving my back into them and Benitez. All
1: right, and Jim, there's no segue because you already won the title. So I guess uh, just <laughs> who are your picks here?
5: Um, I think the top four race is really interesting. Actually, um, I hear what Richard said about. West Ham kind of losing to United um, in the FA Cup and not thinking perhaps they're going to get back into it. But you know, if they are, if they do beat Swansea this weekend, which is is no foregone conclusion, but they have just put a couple of decent wins back to back against West Brom and uh, and Watford. That really puts huge amounts of pressure on the uh, on the Manchester United game, which is their game in hand. Which you know is not only a a chance to to make up some ground on City, who are currently in fourth, five five points above them uh, as we record, but a chance to kind of leapfrog United as well into fifth. So they're long shots, they're outsiders, but with you can pick holes in in both City and Manchester United at the moment. I think you know you wouldn't want to have a large amount of money on either one of those to finish in the top four at very short prices, as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, if it was up to me, I'd rather take 20 times the price on on West Ham um, and, and hoping that it pays off in the long run. But um, that's I think that's all up in the air. I think, it, obviously, Manchester United and West Ham playing each other kind of adds a, a different context to that. In terms of the Europa League spots, yeah, I think they'll stay as they are um, in terms of kind of whoever drops out. So I can't see anyone kind of surprising them and coming from a bit further back. Um, I've, it's going to be like a, a broken record really but I'm really impressed with what uh, Benitez has done at Newcastle it took him a little bit of time um, t- to get the, the team kind of firing which maybe says more about the state that they were in when he arrived than his managerial ability um, but I think they've, um, they've really impressed me in the last few weeks and I know Sunderland have got that game in hand but I can see Newcastle kind of pushing on and, and not kind of looking behind them now and leaving Sunderland and Norwich to um, to be playing championship football next year.
1: Yeah, you mentioned there, Jim, that it's really interesting that we have uh, the Manchester United versus West Ham match and how that's going to decide a lot. We actually have a lot of really high-profile matches left. We have um, City versus uh, Arsenal Russell. in 3-4, yep. United-West Ham 5-6, and Tottenham-Southampton, which is 2-7. So there are a lot of these that we're about to see, and that's why I thought this was worth bringing up, is because these these margins could shift very, very quickly, depending on who can put a run together, specifically the teams like United and West Ham, and, and you know, I don't really want to mention Liverpool, but these teams that still have this game in hand. I agree. I think the top six ends as the top six. I think Southampton will really be kicking themselves, as you said, Um Although, the problem is, they rely on players like Sadio Mane and Dusan Tadic and Graziano Pella, all of whom are incapable of putting more than six good matches together. They go in these bursts, and then they dip off, and then they go in a burst again, and we're in that burst right now. Back-to-back four goals scored uh, victories. So, yeah, they should have been in if they played like this all year, but kind of the inherent flaw in their team is that they don't. Um, I agree with the Fraser Forster thing. That was unfortunate, obviously, when he first came back. What, what did they have, six clean sheets? His first six matches back, it was it was something absolutely insane, um, but yeah, I I do think Southampton will fall just a bit short. Uh, the Tottenham Arsenal race is still also a thing, by the way, for second and third. Tottenham are de facto guaranteed top three just because City play Arsenal. So in theory, you know, only one of them could could leapfrog Tottenham, um, but that's obviously Tottenham's object- objective, which is why we can't exactly take the foot off the pedal. But as Jake said, we we will have Moussa Dembélé missing. Tottenham have four losses this season. How many times of those did Moussa Dembele play in central midfield? None. Every time he's missed out, we've lost the match, which isn't very promising. We won't see him till next season. Eric Dyer still possibly dealing with concussion stuff. Della Ali obviously still suspended. So that will also be interesting. Down at the bottom, I unfortunately am going to draw a similarity between Tottenham and Southampton and Newcastle which is all three of those clubs needed about two more matches to this season to to try to leapfrog that other team. If there were two more matches, maybe Tottenham could have tried to catch up to Leicester. Obviously not with the Chelsea result. But the, the situation would have been different if it wasn't just you know the second-to-last match, third-to-last match. Um, and unfortunately for Newcastle, I agree with all of you. I think they're on a great trajectory. I'm just worried that it may have been too late and... Sunderland, while they just have two wins, they've been picking up pretty important and pretty big draws. That if you're one of those other teams that's battling with them, you look at those matches and assume that they're losses. And they just keep peskily picking up points. Um, So unfortunately, I think Sunderland will stay up, much though I hope that does not happen. Sorry, Sunderland fans that are listening. I don't think you're surprised hearing that, though. All right, we do not have time for a player watch, but we will quickly go through match previews, which, uh, as we mentioned, many of them are pretty high profile. Uh, We'll start off with Jake. You already mentioned it a little bit, but you will be traveling uh, to Aston Villa. What do you see happening in this one?
3: Yeah, we've been dreadful away this season. I think we've only won twice uh, away from home. But then again, this is Aston Villa. We drew to them in the game at home, and we can't go, we can't. Not beat them this season because that, that would be embarrassing. And I think we deserve to go down if we don't beat Aston Villa. They, they are all sorts of dreadful. Um, so yeah, I think I think I think we're going to win. Um, it might not be as as convincing as people might think it will be. I think I think it will be a, another tight game. I think I think Benitez will set out not to concede and sort of nick one on the break. We're well, not on the break, but you know, nick one goal and sort of just defend that. I could see it being a, a one there or perhaps a two one. Uh, I think uh, Vernon Anita's a doubt, which is a big blow because he's been really, really good recently. But I think uh, Daryl Yamat is coming back to fitness, so he'll be back in the team if Anita does miss out. So it'll be pretty much the same team that played last week. And I, yeah, I, I have to predict a win. We need to win. If we win this game, then all the pressure's on Sunderland. So I think we'll win, but it, it won't be uh, a 3-0, 4-0 win. It'll be more of a one-goal win, I think.
1: All oh, right, and Gitto, you will be traveling to face West Ham. One of the, is this their last match at their current stadium? I'm not sure. No,
2: so they've got the uh, rearranged fixture against Man United to come midweek afterwards. Ah, it's so also at home. It's not quite the big occasion for them that um, they were all expecting. Right. Um, I wasn't looking forward to this trip anyway because um, I, West Ham have a really good record against us in Upton Park. Um, their strengths um, really do um, take advantage of our weaknesses Andy Carroll has a te- has an incredible record against us um, and they've of course been playing really really well this season whereas we've been pretty poor on the whole um, and add to that the fact that we've got injuries all over the pitch I would tell you to lump everything you have on a West Ham win in this match I cannot see anything else apart from a West Ham win um, I'll go optimistically for 3-0, but I think it could easily be worse.
1: Yeah, um, you mentioned a lot of players missing. Also, it's uh, 14 goals conceded from corners, which is a staggeringly high amount, and no Ashley Williams. Not a lot of optimism there. Jim, what do you think Leicester are going to do from here on out? You're going to be playing Everton, who also don't have anything to play for, which I think is largely going to fall on Roberto Martinez's back come the end of the season. But well, how, how do you think you're going to roll out in this? Is it just going to be celebrations, or are you actually going to get out there and play some football?
5: You use the term "rolled out there," and I think we might be rolling around drunk as lords on uh, on Saturday evening, <laughs> including um, the Marty lookalike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my god, that's so so cringeworthy. Um, so you see, obviously, in the social media era, plenty of uh, photos and stuff. Players can't go anywhere without being kind of snapped and and. Picked up by fans and stuff, and obviously uh, even more so in the days where you kind of come to come to uh, the front page news as well as the back page. So yeah, basically it's been pictures of players going out and getting completely smashed this week. um Obviously they will probably be a lot more sober by game day, but I can't imagine three days of drinking and partying is going to be good preparation for Everton um, as. as you know they're not the best team in the world. Um, they've got problems of their own, but it, it kind of feels like um, the Brighton and Hove Albion game, which we played immediately after winning the Championship trophy, uh, when we'd been on a really, really good unbeaten run. I think we we were unbeaten in like 25 matches or something. Uh, we turned up uh, looking like we they just literally rolled out of bed on a four day hangover and got spanked four-one uh, by a team that were kind of decidedly mid table at that point. So. I'm not saying we're going to get beaten by Everton, but I don't think it will be as comfortable as perhaps it would have been if it was a couple of weeks ago. Um, and obviously the, the lack of pressure on the game, it, it plays a part as well. Um We're going to be picking up the trophy at the end of the game, which, you know, maybe might focus the players. But again, you know, you just maybe some of them just want to get through it, get to that point and carry on drinking again. Um, I saw one particular picture that made me laugh this week was... um Wes Morgan decided to buy a Jaeger bomb for every person in the pub that he was in <laughs> last night, as we record, which is Wednesday night. Um, it was a £250 round of Jaeger bombs, apparently, um, and it wasn't a particularly expensive pub. So that's a lot of Jaeger bombs. I don't know how many he personally consumed, but I can imagine there's still going to be plenty of alcohol in the bloodstreams of various players come Saturday. Um, it'll probably be quite an entertaining game because we're missing Robert Hooth. Um, he's been banned for three games for violent conduct for pulling Mara on Fellaini's hair shortly before Fellaini and his elbow tried to rearrange Huth's jaw. Um, So that's going to be interesting because obviously he's been such a defensive rock for us this year. Um, I think that together with the kind of apathy about the game will probably mean it's quite high scoring. So if I was going to pick a score, maybe 2-2. Vardy's back and he's still within with the outside chance of the golden boot. So if he could score a hat-trick this weekend... He'd be back in uh, level, I think, with Harry Kane, providing he didn't score. So he'll probably have his own kind of personal milestones to to try and achieve. But I don't think he's going to kind of bust a gut for it, particularly given how far he is behind and the fact that he's picked up Football Writers' uh, Player of the Year this this just last week gone as well. So yeah, I think a high scoring uh, draw at the KP this weekend. Mm.
1: You mentioned West Morgan there. It's it's a I'm starting to agree with Harry Redknapp. Maybe West Morgan should get a call-up for England, despite all of those Jamaican caps um, how yeah. <laughs> he played this just season. The, just, the
5: tw- just the 25 caps for a completely different country there.
1: Yeah, but aside from that, I mean... Oh,
5: if you forget that, then it's golden. You could have a whole crop of players that could play for England <laughs> if you're just going to forget 25 international caps for another country.
1: I, you know what? I'm pretty sure you could still get Diego Costa, if that was true. And see he seems to be really uh, fond of forgetting his actual nationality. <laughs> So, there you go. Um, all right, uh, Tottenham versus uh, Southampton. I already mentioned a little bit. No Dembele, uh, limping Dyer, no Della Ali. A deflated team with what I'm worried they will feel is nothing left to play for, although we very, very much have to finish above Arsenal after all the crap we talked during all of their Arsene Wenger protests. Um, but hopefully we'll we'll be able to sort that out Um I'm not, like I said, I'm not overly confident, although we match up well with their strengths, which is pace down the wings and size up front. I know Shane Long doesn't actually have size, but he has jumping size, as Gitto will more than willingly tell you all about with his hurling background. Um, so fortunately, uh, we, we do match up with them fairly well. I still don't think this is going to go particularly well. I'm I'm kind of leaning... Um, Jim's way that I think a, a score draw is probably on the cards here. I'm gonna say one one Kane's gonna get it and secure the golden boot for himself and then uh last but certainly not least, Manchester City versus Arsenal, we all talked about it in our breakdowns. It could easily decide top four it could decide who gets the automatic qualifying spot. It could decide if Arsenal get to get their fourth place trophy again this season. Richard, what do you think's gonna happen in this one? Um,
4: Well, obviously, I've already sort of nailed my colours to the mast earlier that I do think City will get beat. Um, I think maybe of the teams that that are in the top six or the top eight, Arsenal, are probably the ones that um, I'd most likely to be playing because they are the least predictable for how they're going to turn up um, in terms of their motivation and and their drive to win a game. Um, But they did... I mean, they did a hell of a number on City last year at the Etihad, um, which was sort of labelled as Wenger and Arsenal sort of learning how to win big games again. Um, I don't know. They're, I, I think their big game record shade cities. They've already beat us at, uh, at the Emirates this season. Um, I expect... Uh, Well, sorry, not I expect. Obviously, company is going to miss out because of his injury, um, and there are still major doubts about Otamendi and uh, Mangala together. They're not a good partnership. Um, More often than not, they're not a good partnership. They occasionally step up and from nowhere have a player blinder. Um, But I would expect Arsenal to target uh, that position. Balls from... Um, from our left-back position, will cause us problems because they always do. Um, I hope with every fibre of my being that Pellegrini starts Acho because the kid is unbelievable. Um, he is our success story of the season um, and has earned the right to play. Um, and this will obviously be a, um emotional occasion one way or another because it's Pellegrini's last game at the Etihad. Um I am glad that that day has finally come around, although I will stay behind and um, applaud as the team do their lap of dishonour because at least he's he's tried. He's just not been quite good enough for the last two years. Um, But I think Arsenal will see it through, unfortunately. I desperately hope I'm wrong, uh, but I anticipate a 2-1 Arsenal victory, um, a limp and lacklustre City performance because that is the norm. Um, Yeah. Um, it's a negative one for me, I'm afraid, but hopefully uh, I'm proven wrong and talking nonsense.
1: All right, and with that, we are out of time. So, if you have any projects you'd like to plug or want to tell people where to reach you, now be a good time. Uh,
2: yeah, the latest uh, Jackcast is uh, available on Twitter at The Jackcast. And for those of you in West Wales, you can uh, read my weekly column in this week's Commander Journal.
3: Yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, you can get my stuff on EPL Index or Total Dutch Football, where I've just written a piece on five players in Eurodivisi who could be on the move this summer to uh, a bigger European league, so check that out. Uh, for anything else, you can get me on Twitter at Jake Jackman with two Ns. Uh,
4: the latest Blue Moon podcast, the dedicated Manchester City podcast, is uh, is out tomorrow. Um, oh, sorry, on Friday, depending on when you're listening. Um, that's out Friday morning. Uh, that features more of me dissecting the Real Madrid game, and uh, you can read my stuff at Yahoo Sport UK, uh, two blogs a week, uh, and I am on Twitter at Richard The Burns.
5: Thanks for listening, guys. I've been Jim, and um, I've got lots of kind of Leicester stuff on Goal.com dot com and the UK international editions at the moment, um, which you might have seen already. But if not, and you do want to read a bit more about this season, if you've not had your fill of it already, you can get it over there. I've got a piece going live on Saturday morning. Um, about our use of sports science this year and kind of cryotherapy tanks and some very kind of cool um, medical ways that we're keeping our our players fit and on the pitch for as long as possible. Um, So if you want to kind of read about that, you can get that on Saturday. Other than that, there's going to be a final episode of the We Are Going Up podcast as well, the the Football League podcast that I've been involved in in the past, um, after five years. So that's kind of coming to an end at the end of the season and there'll kind of be a big end of season spectacular and i should be on the phone for that one as well so keep an eye on your podcast feeds for uh for that when it comes out
1: yeah and i am your host kevin devries at kevroff on twitter you can find my fantasy writings not not like elves and stuff like fantasy football um over at the and play toga.com. also listen to our fpl roundtable which goes up on thursday mornings uh, especially as we head into this double game week A lot of people have a lot of ground that they need to climb, so uh, be sure to tune into that. Uh, And as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPLRoundTable or emailing us at EPLRoundTable at gmail.com. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening.